Disclaimer. Take care while listening to this podcast. It discusses criminal activity, including violence, abduction, and murder, sometimes involving children. Also, these stories are about real people. Suspects mentioned are considered innocent unless proven guilty in a court of law. The most important thing we can do to honor these victims and their loved ones is to play an active role in our justice system, remain vigilant in our understanding of our surroundings, and support organizations that work to make sure that stories like this one remain the exception and not the rule. February 3rd is National Missing Persons Day. But just like any day created for public acknowledgement, the people who have dealt with cases of missing loved ones, the families, the friends, law enforcement, those people are more often than not left without answers. And the questions they have are crushing. There are only so many candles one can hold. Only so many balloons that can be released. Their commitment is to keep the story alive. That is what I'm attempting to do here. This is a story of tragedy, but also one of strength and unwavering hope. The strength and courage of those in this story is enormous. By the end of it, I hope that becomes evident. Now, missing in a moment, the disappearance of Morgan Nick. Have you ever dared to try and catch a firefly? How about with a group of giggling friends? Did you then place them in a mason jar and lift the glass like a lantern in the night? Have you seen their hazy glow on the palms of your hands and felt like you were sharing a secret with God? I have. And while the light was never bright enough to lead me home, it was bright enough to captivate my imagination and give me hope. So, imagine seeking out that feeling of hope and light and laughter with your friends. And now imagine that you're six years old at a Little League baseball game in Alma, Arkansas, and that your name is Morgan Nick. The town of Alma is located in Crawford County. It's in the region of the state commonly known as the Ozarks. To its west is the state of Oklahoma, and not too far north is the state of Missouri. In 2020, the U.S. Census placed the population at just over 60,000 people. The southern border of the county is cut through by the Arkansas River Valley, and today, two major interstates run through it, I-40 and I-49. As odd as it might seem, Alma is also known for spinach, even going so far as to crown itself the spinach capital of the world. The honor is so real that statues of the animated character Popeye have been erected in town over the years. 
Popeye, for those who remember him, is a character known for his strength, morality, and his fierce protection of his girlfriend, Olive Oil. Popeye is also portrayed as an underdog, not finding his strength until all hope seems suddenly and irretrievably lost, and not fighting until absolutely necessary. The villain in the Popeye cartoons is easy to identify, a brutish bulk of a bully named Bluto. But real life isn't a cartoon, and in real life, some villains are much harder to see. It is against this quaint, innocent backdrop in a town filled with crops of healthy greens and cartoon statues of an impossible hero that our story begins. At the time of the story, 1995, the Nick family was comprised of Morris John Nick, husband and father, and wife Colleen. They had three children, Morgan, age six, Logan, age four, and 22-month-old Taryn. John, as he was known, had been in the military, and as his career wound down, he and Colleen both desired to move back closer to their family in Arkansas. They were both from the Ozark area, so the decision was made to bring them and their children back home. Colleen, who had a sincere desire to spend time with her kids and make an honest living, decided to get licensed and start an at-home daycare center. There, she'd be able to experience their children growing up and share her kind heart with others. The ABC News miniseries Still Missing Morgan documents this time through in-person interviews and family home videos. The chaotic bursts of raw childhood energy explode through the screen with the personalities of the children in the Nick home. Because of the story I'm telling, the focus of these videos is, understandably, Morgan. You can't help, when looking at her, imagine she could be your own daughter, your own niece, your own sister, her innocence memorialized forever in time, her joy caught for eternity, her sweet demeanor and playfulness captured on unsteady, grainy VHS tape when purity and joy were all that mattered. The documentary also shows footage of the other children in Colleen's care, making hats out of newspapers and playing together. Morgan is seen with bows in her hair, diligently coloring pictures, riding her bicycle, carefully holding a new puppy and then comforting it with a hug when she could tell it was afraid, and her voice. She sounds like many of the girls I grew up with as a kid, a thick southern drawl draped on every word, and you feel convinced with time she could tell you a funny joke or captivating story from a front porch rocking chair. Her hair is long and dirty blonde, and again, she is six years old. Shortly before the events of the story unfolded, John and Colleen decided the best decision to make for their family was for them to divorce. But this wasn't a common situation in which there are warring sides over custody and money. All reports indicate that this was an amicable split, and that the two of them remained very respectful of the other. Then came June 9th, 1995, a day 
that started out as normal as any other. That's how most of these stories begin. No whisper of dismay. No inkling of horror. Yet, both often arrive when we least expect them. It was a Friday, and Colleen was wrapping up a long week with the daycare center. Cooking a fixture from most of our childhoods. Grilled cheese. Morgan was dressed in a green Girl Scouts t-shirt. And still missing Morgan, Colleen tearfully shares that on that night, Morgan, who was a slim child and ate little, requested a second grilled cheese. Colleen declined, thinking she wouldn't eat all of it. It's moments like these that personally bring me pause. A simple decision that has no bearing on the outcome of happiness or sadness can wrap itself around your neck and weigh you down. Regret due to a future event, tied inexplicably and intractably from a past event. Any one of us could make a simple decision today, and because of the cruelty of memory and circumstance, it might torture us for decades. In these instances, I think it's best for each of us to give ourselves the grace to let go of that moment and recognize we often do the best we can with the information we have. I pray that Colleen recognizes that. Returning to our story, that night, Colleen was invited to a Little League baseball game in neighboring town Alma. Ozark and Alma are situated approximately 25 miles away from each other, perhaps only a half-hour drive. So Colleen loaded up Morgan, Logan, and Taryn and headed to their grandmother's house where Colleen dropped off the two younger children. Then she and Morgan headed to the game at Walford Park. It was a hopeful beginning to a happy weekend. I'm sure you've seen what Little League baseball fields look like. Walford Park was one of these. On the off chance you aren't familiar, I'll tell you. A baseball diamond with gouges in the dirt and filthy bases surrounded by a chain-link fence, bleachers, dugouts, parents. At Wofford Park, a separate chain-link fence encircled the spectators' area, and a stone's throw away were two unpaved parking lots where cars sat as families enjoyed America's pastime. According to the Crime Wire website, Colleen, who drove a silver Nissan Stanza wagon, pulled onto one of the dirt lots at around 9 p.m. That's when she and Morgan joined their family friends to take in the game, and that's when their lives would change forever. As the teams battled on the baseball diamond, Morgan was approached by two friends, Ty and Jessica, aged 10 and 8, respectively. The kids wanted her to come and play. Initially, Morgan declined, She was seemingly shy when confronted with new situations. One might think she was cautious. Careful. Instead, she teased Colleen by untying her shoes. Imagine, your little girl, playing with you. The sounds of cheering around. The din of aluminum bats making contact with baseballs. The laughter of children. Colleen would act shocked every time Morgan untied her shoes, the jests giving her little girl joy with every look of surprise. 
These were the last happy moments the two of them would spend together. Ty and Jessica continued to ask Morgan to come and join them. They wanted to catch fireflies. That seems to have been enough to convince Morgan, so she asked Colleen to let her go. Colleen initially said no. After all, it was dark, and they weren't in a controlled environment. But other parents convinced her that it would be fine. The field that the kids would be playing in was in clear view. There was no danger any of them could fathom. This bold move of independence by Morgan likely brought Colleen some pride deep down, a great signal for growth in her beautiful little girl. So, as any parent would, she begrudgingly allowed Morgan to enjoy the innocent moment. I'm sure she hoped that memory would stay with her for decades. Colleen kept an eye on Morgan, never letting her get too far from her gaze, checking over and over again, each glance providing some comfort and some shared joy between the mother and daughter. As the game neared its end, the children disbanded and ran back toward the bleachers. As they approached the field, Morgan kneeled down near her mother's car, stating that she needed to get the sand out of her shoes. At first, Ty stopped with her, patiently waiting to accompany his friend back to their waiting parents. After a moment, Morgan said she was done and he could run on. Witnesses say that the moment after this interaction, Morgan was approached by a man near her mother's car. The man has been linked to a red pickup truck with a white camper shell. He was described as a Caucasian male with a scruffy beard and either not wearing a shirt or wearing a shirt that was open. It's the last time we have record of Morgan Nick ever being seen. It's terrifying to think a predator could be watching your children with the expectation to do horrible things that the evil of a monster could override any morality, any humanity, and even any anxiety of being caught in the act. It's also terrifying to know that they could do it in the plain view of a child's parents, that they could do it, not just in public, but a block and a half away from the town's police department. But that seems to be what happened here. An identikit, which is found in the CrimeWire website regarding the case, was created based on the assistance of Ty and Jessica. It shows a man with a short, patchy beard and mustache, a part in his hair on the left side of his head, and he has what I would characterize as deep-set, soulless eyes. Ty and Jessica shared with the police that the man was standing near a red pickup truck, smoking a cigarette, and watching them. Another potential sighting of the suspect that matched the description came later, when a group of teenagers claimed to see a red pickup truck matching the description from the ball field. They said that when they drove past it, there appeared to be a bearded man holding down a little girl in the cab of the vehicle. Confronted with the dire situation, Alma Police Chief Russell White and his team mobilized quickly. Despite the eyewitness accounts, they ran into obstacles early and were employing the public to pass on any leads. Remember, this was before the modern technological era of surveillance and law enforcement, before cameras were so pervasive in our society, keeping watch over our transactions, streets, and highways. 
One of the main leads in the investigation came from a home video taken the evening of the baseball game. In the warped, unstable footage, you can see a red pickup with a white camper shell parked in an adjacent lot near the baseball field. Police canvassed those who attended the field that night, but despite their questioning, they were unable to identify the owner of that red truck. Jessica, the little girl who played with Morgan that night, was interviewed for the Still Missing Morgan documentary. She shared that the suspect vehicle looked boxy, like a Chevrolet. This was counter to previous reports that stated that the truck in question was believed to be a Ford or Nissan. Jessica stated that her family owned a Chevrolet at the time. The shape of her family's vehicle was comparable to the shape of the truck with a suspicious man. Chief Russell White, who was also interviewed extensively in the documentary, has since retired, but it's clear he is as passionate about this case coming to a conclusion as he has ever been. The weight he and his successor, Jeff Pointer, feels is palpable. Both men are law enforcement professionals through and through, and both are clearly working to bring Morgan's family some semblance of peace. But let's look at the tragic truth of this story, and of so many. There are monsters that roam among us, hunting, seeking. Some of these monsters fear nothing, not even their own demise, not even their own personal destruction. It's these kinds of monsters that are the most dangerous. Their need for satisfaction is greater than their need of self-preservation. This is unfortunate, and in some cases, like this one, preventable. But I'll get to that. Unfortunately, despite the flurry of activity, investigators would remain baffled on the local, state, and federal level for decades. When Morgan Nick disappeared from Wofford Park in Alma, Arkansas in June of 1995, There was a mobilization of resources uncommon in the small town. Soon, cameras, live trucks, agents from the FBI, and more had descended on the tiny southern town. The blitz of media coverage would have overwhelmed the most confident of people. But here, in the spotlight, was a young family, with their daughter, sister, Morgan, who was missing. Colleen stood front and center, bravely facing the red lights and lenses of the cameras. She walked up to the microphones at press conferences and faced the questions of a public both confused and afraid of what befell her little girl. Their quiet community was shattered, but Colleen stood to give Morgan her voice. While Colleen faced the interrogation of the media, John carefully backed away. Why? that's an easy answer. A news reporter covering the case made the statement to him that no one wants to hear from the father. Look, I'm a big supporter of journalists. I believe they carry out thankless, difficult work, much of the time in hyper-stressful and hostile environments. But this kind of comment to a father whose daughter is missing is totally beyond the pale. As a father, I cannot even describe to you the amount of unfettered rage this would bring out of me. If one of my children were to be abducted and someone, anyone, were to say that to me, well, 
I can't promise what exactly I would say or do. Journalists are people, so they're allowed to make mistakes. But when they let their pursuit of a story or a headline supersede their humanity, they do a disservice to the people they are covering, the public they are producing for, and the profession in general. John's skepticism had an unintended effect as the investigation neared on him for a short time. As we've discussed before, that is not uncommon. In fact, it is expected and necessary. Start small, eliminate those in closest proximity to the victim, and then expand. Statistics bear out that it is normally someone close to the victim. However, in the less statistical chance that the perpetrator is not close, this approach does sacrifice the luxury of necessary time. As minutes tick away, victims become less and less likely to be saved, found, or recovered. To Colleen's undying credit, she fervently defended John, and in short order, he was cleared. So, police turned their focus on finding Morgan and the monster that came to take her away from the fireflies. In the coming months, other solicitations and crimes against adults and children continued. And while police looked at a few different suspects during this time, it wasn't until 2020 that they really honed in on a strong person of interest. It was a man that had been on their radar before, a man who had passed a polygraph and was cleared after any sort of initial searches of his property and vehicle, but a man who was a worthy POI nonetheless. While I won't spend a ton of time on this POI, though some might call him a POS, I do want to be firmly noted that Colleen and the Morganick Foundation have never given up their search for answers. There continues to be real work done in this case, both by the Foundation as well as by local, state, and federal law enforcement. Two months after Morgan's disappearance, there was an attempted abduction of an 11-year-old girl in Van Buren, Arkansas. She and her brothers went to a Sonic fast food restaurant and, after making their purchases, went to leave. However, an older man in a red truck with a white camper shell approached them. The man's interest was clearly on the little girl. He tried to give the boys a couple of dollars to move along so he could have some alone time with their sister. The brothers bravely refused. The man then engaged in what was described as indecent conversation, after which he asked the girl to come with him. When the girl said she was calling the police and the three kids ran away, the man drove off in his truck and smashed into a nearby light pole. He left the scene, but an eyewitness wrote down the license plate and reported it to police. That very tip led them to a man named Billy Jack Lynx. This event led Lynx to be charged with sexual solicitation of a minor. But this wasn't his first brush with the law. He had previously been charged with molesting one of his granddaughters. That charge resulted only in a 10-year suspended sentence, which meant he was still allowed to live among the public. It's basically a probation for a man who was a clear predator of young girls. Learning of these leads, law enforcement searched Link's property to no avail, 
The police did, however, track down his truck. And with the help of an FBI forensics team, also known as the Evidence Response Team, did a deep search of the vehicle. After analysis, they found a spot of blood, a single blonde hair, and fibers consistent with a green t-shirt. While the blood and hair did not provide any real DNA evidence, the fabric was consistent with what Morgan was wearing on the night of her disappearance. Lynx died on August 5th, 2000, while in jail. If he was the perpetrator of this crime, if he stole Morgan from Colleen and John and Logan and Taryn, he didn't get to see that he could never win. Because the love for Morgan, her memory, and her voice outlasted his life, and that love continues to shine through the Morgan Nick Foundation. June 5th, 1995. That's 10,466 days that Morgan Nick has been missing. 10,466 days of questions, doubts, and fears. 10,466 days her mother, Colleen, her father, John, her siblings, and an army of supporters, advocates, heroes, have rallied to uncover the truth about her disappearance. So let's talk about those fireflies once more. Every memory, every lead, every prayer, that is a firefly a firefly we can place into a mason jar and light the way to bring Morgan and her memory home. Please consider giving to the Morgan Nick Foundation, the nonprofit started by her mother, Colleen, to search for Morgan and provide resources for other families who are dealing with the unbearable loss of a child. You can reach them at morgannickfoundation.com.
Sources from this episode include the Morgan Nick Foundation, The Crime Wire, Cinemaholic, Dateline, The Tennessean, among others. <laughs>